welcome to the She Talks Health Podcast, your source for information about all things women's hormonal health. I'm your host, Sophie Shepard. I'm the founder of She Talks Health and the co-creator of the 12-week Empower Her group gut and hormone program. I'm a certified functional health coach and a holistic menstrual health educator. This podcast was created to give you clarity about how to take control over your hormonal health using safer, natural options. I created this podcast to cover the widespread and complex health issues plaguing women today. From the rise of infertility to the epidemically high numbers of women with autoimmune disease to menstrual cycle problems, digestive issues, anxiety, weight gain, food sensitivities, mental, emotional, and energetic imbalances, and so much more. If there's a topic that you need answered, I encourage you to write us at podcast at shetalkshealth.com and we will try our absolute best to cover that subject. My greatest mission in life is to help women radically change their health and their lives by teaching them how they can use their hormones as their superpowers. So with that in mind, I hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome back, everyone, to the She Talks Health Podcast. This is your host, Sophie Shepard, lit up as usual to have another amazing guest on this podcast. This time we have Esther Cohen. Her bio is amazing, can I just say? She is a functional nutritionist, an intuitive counselor, a soul whisperer, a ritual artist, and an empath who understands that we eat, digest, and metabolize all of life's experiences. She believes that all life experiences are food for our being to nourish our soul. And she has tons of experience. She is the author of Alchemy of Nourishment, The Art, Science, and Magic of Eating, and Wild Contemplation, Journal of Embodiment, as well as many other nutritional guides and articles. She's taught extensively at numerous colleges and universities. And she's the owner of the Alchemy of Nourishment. Esther, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's such an honor to be here and such a gift to be able to share this information at this time of year. I know. Yes, we're, we're right before Thanksgiving. And today we're really going to be talking about some of the core of Esther's work, which is around the biology of belief, which we definitely have to dive into how that all works. We're going to be talking about the, the concept behind dis-ease and how it expresses itself in the physical body. And we're going to be talking about how can we connect to our authentic expression um, and this soul work that we mentioned in Esther's bio, which is work that I feel is just coming out of me and emerging. I got started in nutrition as well. And now it's like, okay, how can we build from nutrition and into this soul work? So I would just love to hear how you got into this world to begin with and how you ended up here doing this soul work now. I got into nutrition from my own health issues uh, as a child and started to change my diet, become a vegetarian at 15 and and move across country and change my lifestyle and, and friends and I just started to, to gather as much information as I possibly could for my own self-exploration. And it kept leading me more and more down this path of eating well and exercising well and being in nature as much as possible. And as I kind of pursued that 
through school, I was an art major and, and the two worlds just kind of began to come closer and closer together as I tried to blend my love for cooking and love for foods and culture with this kind of deeper exploration of how do we work? Like just that mystery behind that. So I, I did get my master's in nutrition and began practicing. And I, I was always rather radical in that way and in, in that day, eating at that point organic foods and really locally grown foods and went into herbalism. So I began to do plant spirit medicine, a little different than the medicines we're doing now, but really speaking to the plants and in invoking the energetic quality of that plant, not just the um, medicinal constituent that we tend to take out for our popular drugs. And it also led me into Chinese medicine where I feel like the philosophy of Chinese medicine really is around the consciousness of the earth, that the earth is the macrocosm and we are the microcosm and looking at the consciousness of every organ, the endocrine system and, and how we function. So it's not just the physiology, but it's more the awareness and predisposition, you might say, of that organ that makes the physiology. So that led me also into energy medicine and realizing that everything is a vibrational frequency. And through understanding the consciousness of the organ that the liver holds, that the heart holds, that the spleen pancreas holds, that I could begin to see a relationship between one's personality one's beliefs, one's habits, one's family of origin and ancestors, including ancestral trauma, in the expression of disease in the body, in the symptomology of the body. And so that got really exciting because not only could I work with, so to speak, the science of the physiology from that nutrition perspective and what nutrients are missing or what flow in the metabolic pathway has been disrupted that just spoke a language that expressed what that disease was saying within the body and so as we began to connect both worlds and give voice to those symptoms we could begin to change the neuropathways bring a plasticity to these beliefs habits and even DNA patterns and shift those and really come to a state of vibrant health, like one that's, that's not needing to continuously substitute a nutrient or a drug for something that's been congested or depleted or absolutely destroyed in a pathway within the body. So that's a long long journey but it is a long fun. journey but it's a beautiful journey <laughs> and we're so glad that you're sharing it with us because wow can i just say wow it's really great to talk to somebody who blends both the physiology and the energetics and there's so there's so much in here i feel like there's 16 podcasts <laughs> let's maybe go into the expression of symptomology in the body because i think this is something that maybe the listeners haven't really heard of before that 
it's not just about the physical, but also the emotional, energetic, the trauma, these things that get kind of stuck. And I think leading into that and also into neuroplasticity a little bit, because something I hear a lot, and you've probably heard this a ton too, is, well, my sister and my mom have Hashimoto's or they have hypothyroidism, so I'm going to get it. Or, you know, I'm going to get diabetes. And we just know that that's simply not true through the study of epigenetics, but we also know that through the study of neuroplasticity that we can shift things and we have a lot more control than we think. So I'd love for you to kind of expand on this as an expert in how these things start to express in the body and then how can we shift out of this um, and, and take more control over our lives? I love your question. It's a big question here. A big question. So, <laughs> we'll try um, to simplify it. <laughs> <laughs> so where... I really begin is looking at, well, what is the location of that disorder? And we'll just go right to Hashimoto's since you mentioned it. And Hashimoto's is the thyroid gland. And if we look at the consciousness within the thyroid gland, you'll see that it regulates growth, right? And metabolism. But let's expand that to not just physiological growth, but spiritual growth personal psyche development, right? And the regulation, the, the speed at which we're able to metabolize or digest different experiences. Okay, so there's that consciousness that help, is held there that actually precedes its physiologic function, right? So it's also related. That's, just, that's to- amazing. Just pause for a second. That's incredible because I've never had anyone explain that ever and that makes you'll have to take my new class i'm definitely i saw it's all on on, it's all on this it's all on the consciousness of the neuroendocrine system oh my mind is blown um (laughs) and i love this because um just like a personal note about how i've experienced this as some as a hashimoto's warrior who's you know in the healing place now and, and not expressed in active Hashimoto's, but when it developed, I was in an abusive relationship, which the listeners have heard many times. And I felt like my voice was suppressed. I felt like I couldn't express or communicate my needs. And I certainly didn't have any sort of spiritual foundation to even grow into. I didn't even know how that worked. I was young and I, I didn't even, that wasn't part of my life yet. But as I grow in my spirituality, I find even more and more I'm able to use my voice and I'm even more developed. And it's like that old version of me is completely shed. So it's just, it's fascinating to hear it from this place of like the consciousness of a gland and what that regulates on a physiological level. But then like, let's think about that on a spiritual, on a psyche. Oh, it's very cool. Okay, so sorry. So this is gonna really even blow your mind a little more here because the thyroid gland sits right in conjunction with the thymus gland. And the thymus gland is where we produce our immune system, our beta cells, our T cells. And that gland holds the consciousness of authenticity. And they're both sitting right on the fifth chakra. So it's your authentic voice, right? And so what we see in Hashimoto's is one, it's an autoimmune disease of the thyroid. And women, five out of seven people who have autoimmune diseases are women. And a big aspect of that is because we have lost touch with our authentic nature. You can understand now the overlay of those two 
endocrine systems right there at the throat chakra. So that it's not, it's not any, how can I say, it's by design, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so what, when I'm working with women with Hashimoto's, I really am looking at what is it in your own unique self, in your essence, that's not getting expressed. It's being, you know, pushed down and you just spoke to it immediately. And as you start to understand that, you can bring that because we are neuroplastic, because of epigenetics, we we can change those situations by changing our consciousness and changing our actions. Oh, okay. I am so in love with this conversation. I'm going to buy your course. Like, oh my gosh. Okay. This is huge because in the She Health Experience, my main offering for women, we've just started to really embrace this idea that we have to talk beyond the physical because I was getting to this place where I'd work with women for three to four months, we'd run labs and then they would feel better, but they would be stuck if there was this component that hadn't been dealt with and they weren't in alignment with either their authenticity, their voice, their love for themselves, their self-worth. And so a huge pillar of the work we do now is helping women find that. And it's really fundamentally, I think, changing the way women show up in the world, which is very cool. Uh, Like when you say about five out of seven people with autoimmune disease are women, that is just so telling of how we are suppressed and how we are not in alignment with this innate um, intelligence that we have. Like it's kind of, I think, like suppressed in us or pushed down. So this is so fascinating. We have 2000 years of that. So when I talk of ancestral trauma, so in the matriarchy, that is the progression that began to happen 2000 years ago was the denial of the feminine. I mean, you can look back through history and you'll see that women artists, whether they were musicians or painters, there is like one or two self portraits of women artists from the 14th, 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th century because they had to take on a man's identity. They took a man's name in order to bring their work out. And so our whole psyche, when we we carry ancestral trauma, you know, the more we can start to recognize that, the more we can start to step out of that patterning. I'm getting chills because I was just in Guatemala and a shaman came and spoke to us and he said that he gave us our Nawalis and that's like your purpose in life in the Mayan calendar. It's based off of your birth date and mine was 12 Kawak and 12 Kawak meant that I heal the feminine through my learned experience. <laughs> I just so, got chills on that one too. So. <laughs> yeah, so it's just this is all just like coming home to roost. Like, wow, okay, we're all meant to be having this conversation. So I love that you brought up the ancestral trauma because I don't think people understand what that means, and that's incredible to think like two thousand years of the denial of the feminine, and now we're seeing this huge surge of the feminine coming back, which is so great and almost kind of a like a pushing down, I think, of the masculine in a lot of ways. I think it's good to have balance, um, but it's interesting to see, I'm seeing it a lot. I'm not sure if you're seeing that too. But- I, I am, I wanna, but I, I want to address that is that, so when I started my work with women, I, I did these workshops called Nourishing the Sacred Feminine. 
And so that's where I really began. And, and what I've, I've learned over all these years is, you know, we all have the sacred feminine and the sacred masculine within us. And so when you say we're pushing down that, that patriarchy, we're, we're pushing down the kind of the competitive denial aspect that the patriarchy has. But if we can start Absolutely. to welcome in the, the true masculine, then we're, we're really starting to bring a society together that can function at its highest capacity. Right. It's like not a, a denial of something completely, but a blend and a coexistence that it seems to be hopefully coming through. And this is so interesting. I feel like I've been talking about this all week with different leaders in this space. And it's just consistently the same message of like, can we blend the two? Like, let's not throw away the patriarchy. Let's just like figure out how to work within the masculine and the feminine together. And I love that. Let's circle back to um, some of, you know, some of the things that you mentioned around changing consciousness and then changing literally your DNA. Could you try to explain how that works? <laughs> so we have to understand that consciousness is a vibrational frequency, right? So happiness has a particular vibration. If I were to go and play a C um, chord on the piano that I have in the other room, and I have my guitar out near the piano, and I'm playing C, my guitar is going to start to resonate with that wavelength frequency, and I'll start to hear this buzz on my guitar that is resonant with a C chord. Does that make sense? It completely makes sense. Sound when I have a thought that, oh my gosh, I, I'm stupid. You know, maybe I have this pattern of telling myself that I'm stupid. So that pattern resonates in my body. It's got to have somewhere to land, right? It's not contained just within my head brain. It affects my heart brain and my gut brain, the enteric nervous system. And because there's resonance with the large intestine, the colon, that lack of self worth that continual voice of I'm not stupid or that critical voice starts to affect the colon. So I have seen numerous people, I'll say hundreds of people who come in with some form of IBS all the way to colon cancer. And I would say that their primary issue, if I was to titrate it down, has to do with self-worth and self-value. And well, so you're preaching to the choir because my <laughs> IBS started when I was 16. I mean, technically, I had like a physical trigger of traveler's diarrhea or Montezuma's revenge. It's kind of hilarious because I'm a week out from having it again. But the difference being is that I think you can have a physical trigger and then not have the self-worth. And then that can lead to a lifetime or multiple years of kind of systematic IBS. And it's so interesting because this time when I got the same exact situation with this, you know, traveler's diarrhea, I know I'm going to be fine because I've got me. Like, I, I love myself. I have worthiness. I'm also taking antiparasitics, but I know what to do now on both levels so that this doesn't continue. So I love, I love that you just distilled that down because 
how often are women taught self-worth as kids and young women? I mean, we're just not, this isn't something that's part of the conversation so often. So no wonder so many men and women are dealing with IBS all over the country and all over the world. Right. And then you add this level of the need to perform and the need to make X amount of money and, and be superwoman and super dad, you know, to do all the things that we've decided that are so necessary in our lives. So we've kicked up our cortisol levels, which, you know, deplete our sleep and, and all of it we can titrate back to specific childhood patterns, you know, where in this case, perhaps you felt diminished or people would like you more if you were just prettier or friendlier or whatever ideas we get in our head. But my point is that, and you spoke to it, just like genetics, you know, we'll say 50% of the people have a particular SNP that will express particular genetic uh, imbalance, right? But what is that trigger that tips it over the edge? Why can I have a, my, my whole family has heart disease and I, I don't worry about heart attack, right? I, I don't orient in the same belief systems that they have and I don't live my life that way. And yes, I don't eat the foods that they eat, but I would say most importantly, it's my psyche orientation in terms of heart disease. And, and so I, I've had the privilege, I, I've worked with a lot of organ transplants. And so this is where I got to kind of like really test out my, my theory, so to speak. And a client would come to me and she would say, you know, I'm having a kidney transplant and I understand deeply the consciousness held within the kidney. So I would start describing that to her and she would be like, well, how, that's my childhood. How do, you, how do you know that about me, right? It ex displays as personality traits that we think are who we are, but yet they're just coping mechanisms that we took on at a certain age that were probably very necessary at that age, but no longer serve you. And so it's a retraining of that system. And so when we speak to the kidney that's being removed, as well as the whole body, letting the body know, hey, this is what's going on, and we're going to welcome in the new kidney, we'll see the characteristics of that donor kidney start to be expressed in certain characteristics of the recipient. So it's really this incredible. Uh, hands-on experience, as well as I want to say that clients who have these energetic and, you know, nutritional support before transplants, they, they improve 50 to 80% faster. Wow, that's incredible about the organ transplant. I would never even have thought of that, but wow. I mean, it makes so much sense. You're <laughs> taking a living, breathing organ into a new body and it needs to be accepting of that. I also want to go back to the coping mechanism thing you said. It kind of strikes me as two 
levels. One is the individual coping mechanism that you as a, as a small child or young adult might have had through your learned experience from potentially your parenting, but also, again, going back to that ancestral, right? Like how are women or men supposed to, like with air quotes, be in our society? Like, you know, women being maybe smaller or quieter or not voicing their opinion, men being more like, don't cry, push, you know, there's no um, flexibility there. And so it's, I think it's really interesting, the layers, that's not just like your individual experience, but what we're experiencing as a society, what you pick up on as you age and how that must just manifest in different ways in the body in these IBSs and these Hashimoto's and autoimmune disease. And it's just fascinating. It is absolutely. I mean, we see it over and over in what I'll call these cultural diseases, right? I mean, we can look, there's certain chemical factors for sure. I'm, I'm big on, you know, detoxing these chemicals out of the body because they, they freeze and congest our pathways. But what you're speaking to is if you go back on, you know, your matrilineal or your patrilineal ancestry, you'll see, well, maybe great, great grandmother, you know, was really abused by her partner. And that energetic pattern gets transferred to her daughter, you know, and it gets transferred in the lineage for seven generations. You can start to go back and see, oh, you know, because your mother, even though she was probably going to try to do everything different than her mother, <laughs> still has that DNA. Just as we inherit dark hair and, and brown eyes, we inherit these emotional patterns as well. I definitely feel that I've inherited not only my mom's uh, emotional pattern at, you know, like <laughs> almost genetically, like out of 25, you know, if my grandmother had it at a hundred percent, my mom had it at 50 and I have it at 25%. I see it. I see it mostly around boundaries and around, um, yeah, like that needing to be liked and loved and not left behind. And I can see that, you know, in massive ways with my grandmother and then lesser ways with my mom and then with me. Right. It's like so fascinating. I, I love that you brought that up. So, and that's why we see patterns of disease in family lines. Sure. That makes total right. sense. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, we're repeating history here. <laughs> Same things can right. express. So we've kind of talked about this idea of how disease is held and expressed in the physical body. And I'm assuming the biology of what you believe is how things are manifest in your body. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it is. So our biology follows our thought. Wow. Yep. <laughs> so you have these, we have a lot, you know, we are run, what, 95% of what we do is uh, unconscious and 5% is conscious. So there's a lot of unconscious patterning that's running the show. One of the terms I like to use what is what I call active memory. So you have an experience, say you were one year old, and that experience never fully got digested in your body, right? It's not something you could understand or explain, or, but you had this experience. And so it, it gets held within the body because it never fully is released. And so as you grow and develop, you are responding from that one-year-old experience when something looks, smells, tastes, in any way resonates with that primary trauma. 
So you become a young adult and you're 30 years old and somebody does something that's just has this, this flavor of that trauma. It's not conscious, but you immediately respond as if you're that one year old. So that memory is activated. And in the biology of belief, what we're doing is we are really shifting the neuro pathway. Like you have a groove that, that's made in your, your neuro pathway, much like a, a vinyl record. And you've got a record player and it has a needle and it's following that track. So what we're doing is through different energetic processes, shifting that needle so it doesn't keep playing that pathway. So you're able to go, oh, wait a minute. I don't want to respond this way. It gives you that, that pause to be able to make a choice. Right, and so many people believe that they don't have choice in the way that they live their lives. But we get to, as you say, you, we get to direct and write our own story, rather living the story that we were born into. And that's an incredibly empowering and probably scary thing for most people to contemplate. I would say that maybe some people have resistance to this idea. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I think what's so, you know, what, what's so funny in a way is so many people have come to me over the years and gone, oh, you know, you're a nutritionist. What are you going to tell me I can't do? Yes. No. Oh my gosh. I hear this all, all the time. Yes. And side story that maybe this is like related. So I had a listener book a call with me to see like, she's like, Hey, I have SIBO and Hey, I've been working with this integrative doctor. And I've also worked with this like fructose nutritionist and I've also done this and I've also done that. And she's doing all the labs and she's doing all the supplements and she's changing all her food. And I said to her, you know, I don't think you need to work with me. I think you actually need to drop down and start to trust yourself and trust your body again. Not to belittle her experience, because I always want to hear women and, and their symptoms, but it, it struck me as an old pattern that I had, which was that I didn't trust myself enough. And so I was always looking outside of myself for someone to tell me what to eat, what to take as a supplement, what to do this, what to do that. And I think that we have to move past that and, and back into our trusting of our body and what it needs and listening intuitively to what comes next. Right. Well, I think that, that you really hit upon it, that, that listening intuitively, we've lost trust with our, our body's voice and we don't pay attention to it. And in fact, we get mad at it. And we go, oh man, that pain, you know, if I could just take an aspirin or an Advil and make it go away. And oh my gosh, it's not going away. And I get so many clients that come in and they've been to numerous doctors and they've done numerous tests and nothing gives them a definitive answer. We've become so attached to a diagnosis as if that helps us heal. <laughs> but that empowerment and that capacity to have choice. I think that we, it's, it's a bit scary because choice is responsibility, that I am responsible if I actually acknowledge that I'm choosing. But I think one way to help shift that, that thought is to take away good or bad choice. Take away, this is good, this is bad. If I do that, I'm good. If I, if I do this, I'm bad. Good food, bad food. And, and start to really get into more of, oh, well, okay, if I make this choice, it leads me down this path, which then is going to 
bring me to another choice. And so it's, it's more like a discovery. Did that choice work? Mm, not really. Okay, so what about it didn't work? And finding out if you're in alignment with the choice. Or did I make that choice because I thought it's what I should make? Mm, yes, taking the should out of it, please. And the good food versus the bad food. I love that you talked about that because I, I get like that with my clients too. They're like, well, well, can I eat this? Can I eat this? Can I eat that? And I'm like, well, how do you feel when you make the choice to eat that food? I mean, I would say the only food group that I see continuously just flare people into massive inflammation is gluten, at least in the United States. And so most of my clients can't tolerate that. And so then, but then it becomes bigger than just, oh, don't eat that. That's a bad food. It's like, how does that food make you feel? For me, it makes me exhausted and brain fogged, which then allows me not to work and then not show up fully for my clients and not fully show up for my fiance. And it's like this whole trickle down effect. So I just choose to not have that food in my life. And then there's other foods for me, like dairy that also don't agree with me, but it's more physiological from like a digestive perspective. So if I'm feeling like, mm, you know what, I'd really like to taste that tonight. I know I'm making a choice that's, I'm probably going to have a bit of gas after that, right? Um, but it's a choice that I get to be empowered to make as opposed to living by some sort of other uh, societal rules about what I put into my body and the choices I make around food. That's beautiful. And then, and then, you know, and you probably know ways to heal your gut or improve your microbiome so that that dairy does become more digestible. And I'm sure you know what dairy to buy that's more homogenous with you. You know, yes. and it's, it's not been so processed. It's not been so uh, removed from its original source. I, I absolutely, and just to be on that specific topic in case anyone is curious, like when I was first meeting with a functional doctor, like the first doctor who ever really listened to me he put me on a really restrictive diet and a really intense gut protocol. And it did work like on a physiological level, my gut healed, my immune system calmed down, my, my thyroid stopped, you know, <laughs> attacking. But then there was an, a, a ripple effect or a, a reverberation of restriction that I went through. Cause I went on the autoimmune protocol, which is very restrictive. And at the time, I mean, I couldn't process any food, so it, it made sense. So my immune system thanked me for it. But then I realized I had this mindset of like, oh, I can't have this. I can't have this. I can't have this. And then that layers on another level of stress for us. Right. And then that tricks up your gut all over the place because your gut is connected to your brain. Right. So it's, right. I think we have to find this blend. We can't be so black and white about things. It's like, and I think you're right. I mean, there's, there's a physiological part of also like there is massive ways that we have control over healing our gut physiologically through supplements and food and also mentally through calming our nervous system, getting into parasympathetic, releasing old beliefs and stories and trauma from our bodies so that they no longer keep triggering that effect in our system. At least that's been my experience. And it's oh, that's absolutely true. I mean, I was going to say had, you know, I've been co-partnering with your doctor at that time, we would have really been looking at what are these patterns that bring you stress? because anxiety is like such a key factor, right? And then you even use the word attacking, you know, I, that's so our Western model, you know, that mm -hmm. your body is attacking itself. I don't know that I would 
use those words, but it was like, what attention is your body screaming for right now? So that, yes, you get to remove all of these inflammatory triggers that are happening in the system. But if we can heal that psyche part of it and start to be more welcoming in the system and more, you know, discriminatory in the system and get the small intestine, which is all about discrimination with the large intestine, which is about letting go, right? And, and put them into consort with one another, then we can really bring health back into the system. Mm, absolutely. You know? And so if someone's listening to this and they're like, wow, I really resonate with this, but I don't even know where I would start to think about the psyche part of it, the energetic part of it. How can someone take a first step? Can they reach out to you? Is there a course they can take? Is there a practice that you like to start with people? They can reach out to me. That's a great way. My new book that's really just a journal called Wild Contemplation is a journal of embodiment. So it's really a step-by-step guide to start to notice. You know, I think that there's five stages of change that I call awareness, acceptance, understanding, resolution, action. And often we jump from, oh, I have this going on and we want to take action, right? But maybe the action is first going through like, oh, wow, I have this going on and I I feel really sad about that and going through some kind of grieving process so that you accept it. And then you can kind of come to understand oh, well, this went on in my childhood and X, Y, and Z, or I drank water that was really not healthy for so many years or whatever that understanding starts to uncover. And then you get into a resolution, which is where there's a sense of forgiveness that happens and that sense of where do I go from here? I'm really ready to heal. And what does that healing require? Well, it requires me to eat X, Y, and Z foods. And I might need to let go of a few relationships because I realize they're not nourishing me and that kind of exploration. So you really have a framework to move through change while at the same time, there's practices in there. So you notice, am I eating for comfort? Am I eating out of boredom? Am I eating because I'm really thirsty? You know, all the, I call them the seven hungers. And we have so many different reasons that we, we go to food. And I like to think of nourishment as not just food, but it's everything we experience. Absolutely. So maybe I'm, I'm hungry for conversation and, and maybe I'm hungry for alone time. But we, we just got to start to create a, a dialogue with ourselves And, you know, I do offer some classes, like I I mentioned, so you can reach me at at my website. And definitely sure to link that in the, in the show notes, but it's alchemyofnourishment.com, I believe. Is that correct? Right. I mean, what I'm passionate about now is really training people to do what I do so that they're really all over the world, you know, especially people like yourself with your coaching and nutrition background is that we're just bringing in this greater awareness that I think really brings agency back to the individual because our healthcare system has been so dominant in telling us what's wrong with us. And 
us going to them for the answers. And, and so that conversation, I think, really needs to change. I absolutely agree. And everything I do is about empowering women specifically is who I work with. But this is just incredible work. You've blended things that need to be funded. This is the future of healthcare and of preventative care, but more like life, life care. Like these are <laughs> skills that we should all have that we're just never really taught. And we're not really taught how to have conversations with ourselves and how to ask what we need and, and create boundaries and think about what am I hungry for? I mean, I remember way back at IIN in integrative nutrition, mm-hmm. you know, Joshua, Joshua always talking about, um, you know, your primary food, not being the food you put in your mouth, but the relationships in your life, your career, your, you know, your time, your hobbies, what do you do for nourishing your soul? Because that will impact how you feel physically. So I just love all of this. We will definitely link alchemyofnourishment.com into the show notes. Is there anything else you want to leave the listeners with, or I don't know, any pieces of advice or ways to get in, in touch with you? I think to just really start to give yourself permission to explore, you know, what resonates for you? What makes me feel good? Do I really want to be in this situation? And I'll leave it with a a simple little exercise that I love is that, say you have a, a choice, you know, do I want to eat ice cream or not? So I stand up and, and put your feet on the ground and really allow that question to drop into your body. And so first you're gonna ask your feet, do you want ice cream? How do you feel about eating ice cream? And notice what you notice. I mean, my feet get a little excited, right? You know, yeah, I like to, I like to eat ice cream and go for a walk and get the ice cream. And then bring it up to your calves, your knees, your thighs, your belly, and maybe you get to your belly, and I'm just using this as an example, and you're like, mm, not so much. I feel a heaviness here in my belly, right? And so then you bring it up to your heart, and you're like, oh, I used to love ice cream. But again, this isn't a yes. And so you have to be 100% yes. And we can do this with everything. I'm going out with someone tonight. Do I really want to go out with them? And my feet are all excited because we're going to go dancing. And my knees have that adaptability and flexibility. But I get up to my heart and I'm like, oh, you know, I really think I want to be alone tonight. And so it's a way to really integrate our whole body to ask our body what it wants. Oh, I love this. Not just a mental construct oh i think i should go (laughs) yeah and i actually did that a little bit of that with you and it was interesting because my immediate reaction was like nope (laughs) i don't want this like my my whole body was like no i don't want ice cream at all like my my stomach my heart all that stuff and it's it's funny if you start to ask your your body will tell you what it needs it will and it's pretty quick i mean it's it's a practice that the body that, scan kind of yeah, in a way. it is a body scan yeah. but it's really just taking that question there and for someone who's never done a body scan you know like being with a little bit because there's always going to be this resistance really you don't want to go you don't want it but i think i do 
I love this. And I'm going to leave the listeners with one other piece of my honest feedback because the shaman also told me <laughs> that 12 kawaks are straightforward and uh, kind of just say it how it is with kindness. I know that there are people listening to this podcast that are probably like, that's not going to work for me. That's ridiculous. That's woo woo. And to that, I would say, if you've been struggling for a long time and you've tried all the things and you haven't tried this, my ask for you, my invitation for you is to open your mind to the possibility that this could work for you and be a solution and a supportive lifestyle change and a way of being changed. So that's just my little piece of advice and feedback for anyone who's like, this seems crazy. Just try it. See what happens. The worst that can happen is nothing changes. Really want to, you know, piggyback on you there because there's nothing to lose. And there's so much to gain by expanding this construct that we have ourselves limited by. And it's, it's really opening up our doors to freedom. Mm. Freedom. I love it. Right. And, and feeling like, oh, this disease or disorder defines me. And, and it doesn't. That's it's a whole just other part Yeah. The story of, that we create around our disease is, I lived in that story for a long time. It's holding, holding you back. I really, I'm really glad you brought that up, actually. It's a great way to end the podcast because we're not defined by our physical limitations or our physical diagnoses. Right. Well, Esther, it's been an absolute pleasure. I feel like I could talk to you all day and I just appreciate your time so much and your wisdom. Thank you. Thank you for being on this podcast with us and we will definitely be sending people to your website. Well, thank you. This has been really a joy and thank you for the good work that you do. Thank you. I really received that. All right, ladies, we'll see you for the next podcast. Bye. I hope this episode got you one step closer to achieving your optimal health. If you liked this episode, please spend a few seconds to rate it so more women can find this resource. Be sure to tune in for more women's health support next week on the She Talks Health podcast. And in the meantime, you can find me on Instagram or Facebook at She Talks Health. I have an open door DM policy. No question is stupid and I'm always here for you.